If you'll open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter number 2, I want to speak tonight again on the subject of the Holy Spirit. And I've talked for the last two Wednesday nights on the Holy Spirit. Tonight I want to talk about Him again. The oval window, when you go out of the chapel, of course, it's hard to see it tonight in the dark, but it is the picture of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove coming down. And the reason it's there is because that was our prayer when we built this chapel and built all these buildings, is that the Spirit of God would descend on us. Now, look, if we're saved, we already have the Holy Spirit living in us. And so when we study in the book of Acts, like we are tonight, and how the Holy Spirit came and filled all the believers, and here's the Holy Spirit, it was different then than it is now. Keep in mind, at this time, when when the book of Acts begins, the Holy Spirit is in heaven. And in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes to live in the lives of all the believers. Well, in our lives, we already have the Holy Spirit living in us. And so we don't necessarily need to pray uh, to receive the Holy Spirit. If we've already been saved, we have the Holy Spirit. And so what I want us to focus on tonight is having the Holy Spirit in power in our lives. Remember what Jesus said. He said, the kingdom of God lives within you. Paul talks about God's Spirit being in us. So if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit in you. The question is, are are you experiencing His power in your life? Now let's pick up in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 1. We will read the first four verses here just to put it in context. Luke said, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so here are all the people, all the worshipers of God in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. This is happening now 50 days after Passover. And so Jewish people have come from all over the world. And here they are in Jerusalem and they're having this feast. And the Christians, we read this in chapter 1, after Jesus had returned to heaven, had gone back into Jerusalem, back into the upper room, and they had been praying together, having a prayer meeting. And that's again in in chapter number 1. So in chapter 2, in response to that prayer meeting, and as a fulfillment of the promise Jesus made before he went back to heaven that he would send the Holy Spirit, here he comes. Here's the Holy Spirit. And now Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, all the disciples, Mary, the mother of Jesus, all these believers, all the Christians, now receive the Holy Spirit of God into their life. And they began to speak in other tongues. They began to speak in languages that they had never learned, enabling all these other Jewish people who had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost to hear the gospel in their own language. And that was how they got saved, because they were thinking, I'm able to hear the gospel in maybe Ethiopian or maybe just all these other languages. So it was a, it was a tremendous miracle. And so this is the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when this happened, if you look down in verse number 12, it said, So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, uh, what could this mean? So some people just 
honestly, genuinely trying to figure this whole thing out. How do you explain these people speaking in languages they've obviously not learned? Verse 13, others mocking said they're full of new wine. In other words, there were some said, this is not a miracle. They're drunk and they're babbling and it doesn't even make sense. It says to me that when the Spirit of God does something special, there will always be people who are amazed and there will always be others who are critical. And question it and say, well, that's not of God and so on like that. And so what we want to do tonight or what I want to do tonight is to give you a test. Not so much to determine if you have the Holy Spirit, but to determine if you have the Holy Spirit in power in your life. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit. If, you, if the Holy Spirit has you and you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now... The 10-question test is not on your outline tonight, and unless you're a fast writer, I would not even necessarily encourage you to write down the questions. But what I would encourage you to do, if you have a pen and you have your little handout tonight, just number 1 through 10 on the left column there, and as I, I'm going to ask you 10 questions, and I'm going to show you the verses from which the questions come, and then you can answer yes or no. Now, if you write down no for one of these questions, you might want to write out the question so that when this is over with, you can say, well, now, why was I not able to say yes to that? And maybe that would be something you could work on. But if on most of these you say yes, then you're already doing it. You don't need to worry about the question. But nonetheless, I want to ask you 10 questions. Now, the first question is a two-part question. And so it's worth five points each, 10 points total, five points each, okay? But the first question is, have you been saved and baptized? That's the question. And if you have done both, just write yes. If you've done the first but not the second, uh, you get half credit for that. Now, in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, Simon Peter stood up and preached a great sermon. And It's another beautiful point I could make here about how God forgives sinners and God restores us even after we've sinned. And that's very encouraging to me because sometimes I'll sin or do something. I say, God, I'm nowhere near as godly as I should be or as holy as some. Maybe I look up to somebody like Billy Graham. I say, God, I'm nowhere near as godly as him, and I don't think I am. And yet Simon Peter, just a few days earlier, in fact, 50 days or so earlier, had denied that he even knew Jesus. And he had felt badly about that horrible sin. And yet Jesus forgave him. Jesus restored him into the ministry. We read that in John 21. And here we find Simon Peter not fishing, but preaching, doing what God had called him to do. And he's preaching this great sermon. I'm not going to read that sermon tonight, but it is a dandy. He quotes out of the, of the Old Testament book of, of Joel, Out of Joel chapter 2, in fact, if you look down in verse 21, we quote this a lot. He said, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Romans 10, 13, Paul quoted the same verse. But it's coming out of Joel chapter 2. And so Peter now is explaining to these people from all over the world about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he's saying to them, if you will call on his name, he will save you. He will forgive you. He will restore your life. Look what he's done for me. And so Peter was preaching this with a passionate heart. And we come down to verse number 40 after the sermon. In fact, we come down, first of all, to verse 37. And it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. 
They were convicted by what Peter had said and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They knew they needed to do something to get right with God. Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now there are some who read that verse And say that in order to be saved, you have to be baptized. Because Peter said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That word for is in our English Bibles could cause somebody to get confused. Because it almost sounds like if you repent and get baptized, then you'll be forgiven. But that word for is better translated because of. Peter literally said, repent of your sins And then be baptized because you've been forgiven of your sins. So that's the idea. So he's not saying baptism forgives you. He's saying Jesus forgives you. Then you get baptized because you've been forgiven. And then he said, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Tell him what to do. Verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And so Peter preached this great sermon. Now remember, just a few days earlier, he had left the ministry. He had gone from Jerusalem to Galilee. He was on the Sea of Galilee fishing. He was thinking God could never use him again. Jesus came up there, restored Peter into the ministry. Beautiful story in John 21. Put Peter back to preaching. And here's Peter preaching a sermon. He gives the invitation. 3,000 people got saved. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So that says to me, the first step to being filled with the Holy Spirit is to get, you got to get saved. You can't be filled with something you don't have or with somebody you don't have. And so that's the first question. Have you been saved? And have, have you been baptized? Question number two, do you... Have a hunger to read and study the Bible. I think one of the ways, or I know, one of the ways I know I'm saved is I really like the Bible. I enjoy the Bible. The highlight of my day every day is reading the Bible. I'm not saying I never miss a day because sometimes I do. But the highlight of my day, even more than preaching from the Bible, is reading the Bible for my own self. And I think that's a good thing, and hopefully you can say the same thing. Look in verse 42. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching. And so after these people got saved, they stayed in Jerusalem, and the apostles, that is the disciples of Jesus, were teaching them what the Bible meant. Remember, there was no New Testament at this time. They were teaching them out of the Old Testament. They were helping them understand how Jesus had been prophesied about in the Psalms and in the prophets. And so it was a wonderful thing. But they had a hunger for the Word of God. And even, you know, this is the time of year, every year, when I'm finishing the Bible reading plan that I'm on for this year. But I'm also thinking about, Lord, what plan will I use for next year? And we've uh, been working even today, Cindy Johnson and I have, on our Bible reading plan, one of the Bible reading plans for next year. And we've just come up with it. And it's a two-year Bible reading plan. It's different than any we've done before. And it's called a chapter a day, dot, 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 on most days. Because some days it's less than a chapter. And on some days there might be a really short chapter and then maybe one or two verses from another chapter. But here's the reason I'm doing that. I, I sometimes, 
I've read through the Bible many times in my life, just like I'm sure many of you have, and I, I try to read my Bible every day. But sometimes, if you're trying to read through the Bible in a year, that can be a lot of reading. And sometimes if you miss a day or two and you say, well, I want to catch up, that can really be a lot of reading. And I think sometimes people start out in Genesis, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year, and by the time they get to about March, they're stuck in Leviticus and they've given up on the whole thing. And so I felt like we need to make a plan available, and I think I'm going to do this in 2020 and 2021 myself, where you can go through the Bible at a slower pace. It includes all the New Testament, all the Psalms, all the Proverbs, all of Genesis. It's the heart of the Old Testament, not every chapter and verse of the Old Testament, but you get the heart of it. And uh, I just am excited about that. But I just encourage you, whether you use that plan or another plan, or you know what, whether you don't even have a plan. Sometimes a plan can put you in bondage, and you feel bound to the plan, and you got to go read it so you can check it off. No. Sometimes if you get to feeling like that, you ought to just cancel your plan and just take your Bible every day and just read something different so you don't feel that way. But however you read your Bible, listen, friend, if you're saved and the Spirit of God is living in you, there should be a desire in your heart to read the Word of God. And uh, I've been reading. I took... I think five days to read through Psalm 119, longest chapter in the Bible. And I was so blessed in doing that. And I, I just can't say enough about reading the Bible and letting God's Word speak to you. In fact, I'll, I'll speed up on some other points, but go to Psalm 119 because I want to show you something that was a blessing to me. And this would be a whole nother Bible study, but since this is our last time for the year, I got to, I've got to just give you everything I got tonight. So go to Psalm 119. I bumped into a man before I came in tonight, Merle Bryant. He was on his way to choir practice. He said, John, are you loaded tonight? I said, I'm loaded. I just hope I can unload it because that's sometimes the hard part. He said, well, you don't have to unload all of it on them, John. Just take it easy. But look, I want to show you about 10 verses out of Psalm 119. I will not comment on these. I will show you the verse. These are what I consider to be the greatest verses in the longest chapter in the Bible. If I were you, and if you're a Bible underliner, underline these verses, circle the number, and uh, when you get home, look at it again. I'm going to resist the temptation to preach little sermons on all this. Verse number one, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. What a tremendous verse. Look up now at verse nine. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. It's a tremendous verse. So verse 1, verse 9, look at verse 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart. Say the next of it with me. That I might not sin against you. I'm just showing you the great verses in Psalm 119. Look in verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. A tremendous, a tremendous verse. Now go to, Psalm, to verse number 65. I love this verse. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Look at verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Look at verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The psalmist was saying the pain and problems he had in life had turned out to his advantage because it made him be closer to God. Look in verse number 89. Forever, O oh Lord, your word is settled in heaven. That's what I love about the Bible. It doesn't change. It never has to be updated. Verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Verse number 130, this is a tremendous verse. 
In fact, in David Jeremiah, in the church where he pastors in San Diego, uh, they have some stained glass windows in that church. And the stained glass window back there where our cross is, it has the actual verse, number 130. And here's what it says. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Something about the Word of God that just helps us see things more clearly. And then look in verse number 165. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Now, I guarantee you this. Had I read Psalm 119 in one sitting, there's no way that those individual verses could have grabbed me like they did by reading a shorter portion of Scripture and spending more time contemplating it. And so that's why I'm saying next year we're going to have that two-year Bible reading plan. So maybe we read a little less if you do that plan, but you can meditate, you can think, you can apply it more. But the point I'm making, now let's go back to Acts chapter 2, is that if you have the Holy Spirit in power in your life, you're going to have a desire to study the Bible. Question number three, do you enjoy the company of other Christians? And I think you would all say yes to that. You're in church tonight. You're not home watching a ball game or at the movies or at Chili's or something. Here you are. Look at verse number 42 again. They continued steadfastly in the, doc- in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread. So just they, these, these new Christians, they enjoyed being together. And, hey, folks, that's one of the signs that we've been saved, that we enjoy each other's company. Uh, and, and that's just the thing. We Listen. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit in me is attracted to the Holy Spirit in you. And the Jesus living in you is drawn to the Jesus living in me. And one of the marks of the early church is that they were always together. And so I, I, think, I think our church gets pretty good mark, fairly good marks on that. Fellowship, breaking of bread. Seems like we're always eating around here, so we're doing pretty good on that. Question number four. Are you a person of prayer? Are you a person of prayer? Because in that same verse, it says, and in prayers. And so after these people got saved, not only did they study the Bible, not only were they together with each other, but they prayed. And so you have to ask yourself, how much time do you spend in prayer to God? I don't necessarily mean you have to have a set time where you just pray here. Maybe you pray little prayers throughout the day. But is prayer a big part of your life? We had Gigi Graham in here last Thursday night, and I was asking her about her prayer life and how she does her own Bible reading and quiet time, always trying to learn from people who are uh, farther down the trail than I am. And she said, you know, John, when it comes to prayer, I pray a lot. She said, but I'm one of those people that just does better kind of just praying as the day goes on. I don't do as well. She said, now, my daddy, Dr. Graham, he probably had more of a set time when he prayed, and I try to have the set time too. But I also try to pray during the day. But how, however you do it, that's what I'm saying. Don't, if, you, if you don't have a set time and you just kind of pray during the day, don't feel guilty about that or vice versa. I was reading in a, an article the other night about Tua, the quarterback at Alabama. I mentioned him on Sunday who got hurt last week. And, but anyway, the article was talking about how he prays. He's a wonderful Christian. And they said, how do you in those big football games, especially when you were a freshman, how do you stay so calm? He said, well, the only way I can stay calm is through prayer. He said, when I come, at, come onto the field, he said, before we start a series, I'm praying. During the series, between plays. Now, you don't think about a quarterback praying between plays. 
Of course, I guess if you had guys that big coming at you, you'd be praying during the play. But he said, also, I pray after the series. He said, praying keeps me calm. And I thought, well, that's good. See, he, that's not a set quiet time. I'm sure he has that too. But he's just praying out there. Between, God, help me to throw a good pass. Help me to make the right decision. But I'm asking you, are you a person of prayer? Question number five, are you serious about God? And I think you're going to get, you should all probably write down yes on that. But look in verse 43. It says, then fear came upon every soul. And so there's something about God. We don't ever want to get, you know, so comfortable with God that in our mind, God is our buddy. Sometimes you hear talk, people talk about the man upstairs. Well, I can't judge another man's motive when he says that. But listen, we should probably not refer to God as the man upstairs. He is God. And that to me seems a little disrespectful. Or, you know, God is my buddy. See, to me, I would, I would say God is my friend, but I would want to be respectful of God. Um, because I think God, I mean, we know God is, is, is sovereign and holy and pure. And we all like to have a good time. But when it comes to God, there should be a certain seriousness that we have about God. Question number six. Do you experience supernatural power in your life? I think that's a good question. Look again in verse 43. It's after it says, Then fear came upon every soul. Notice what it says. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. They were, they were performing miracles. They were doing amazing things. You read about the ministry, for example, of Peter and Paul in the book of Acts, and you find that they were so filled with the Spirit that when they would walk by, the, if, the, if their shadow touched somebody who had been sick, they would be healed. Uh, I think it was Paul, if they touched his handkerchief, power came out of his handkerchief, and he was healed. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that you should expect to see that, although I would say this, don't rule it out. I think a lot of times we read something like that, and we say, well, man, that was then, and this is now. Well, that was then, and this is now, but Jesus Christ is the same then and now, yesterday, day, and forever. So I think when it comes to praying for the power of God, I think God would give us more power if we would pray for it and believe for it. I think God would speak to us. You know, I think God is a lot more real. And if we would be in touch, I had this experience today. I didn't, my shadow wasn't used to heal anybody today. But uh, I had an experience that I thought was interesting. I was home. I had finished my outline for Sunday morning. And I had finished what I was going to do for preparing for this sermon tonight. And I was doing something else. And in the middle of doing something else, my house was perfectly quiet. A thought ran through my mind, and the thought was, Sharon Collard is about to call you. Now, Sharon grew up in this church. Her mother, Helen, many of you know. Sharon's like a sister to me. She and I went through college and seminary together. She and her husband live in Atlanta. She had called me yesterday. I couldn't answer her call. I texted her back last night, and I said, let's try to talk sometime tomorrow. Well, as the day went on today, I had not even thought about Sharon. And had God not put that in my mind, when she called, I'm not even sure if I would have answered the call because I didn't feel like I was 100% ready to preach a sermon tonight. But I was sitting at my desk at home working, and the thought ran through my mind, Sharon's about to call you. And I, I didn't have the thought, you should answer the call, but in my heart I just felt like, that I just had this thought, and I felt like that was God giving me like a, within 10 minutes she called. And we had a wonderful conversation that we needed. She had a question about something uh, that involved 
none of us, but she, had, she said, John, I'm curious about something. And so I answered her question. And uh, anyway, it was a good thing. But what I'm saying is, at, when that happened, when I had that thought ran through my mind, Sharon's about to call you. First thing I thought was, now, is that, did I just dream that up? Or did God put that on my mind? And I thought, well, if she calls, then it wasn't for me. And she called. So what I'm saying is, I think if we would be in tune, and I guess in that particular moment, thankfully I was, I need to be in tune more, I think God would speak to us. It says in the, uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it's in Amos chapter 3 and verse 7. It says, God does nothing without first telling it to his servants, the prophets. God will tell you secrets. God will tell you things if we'll be quiet and if we'll listen. So do you experience supernatural power in your life? Question number seven. Do you help other people? Do you help other people? Look in verse 44. It says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now somebody says, you know, well, that's what taxes is today. We give our taxes and it helps people who have needs. In some cases, it might help people who don't have needs. But, but this is not taxes. That are, this, but taxes are mandatory. What we're reading about here was voluntary. They didn't have to do this. This was something they did on their own. They're looking around. They're seeing their family, seeing their friends, seeing their brothers and sisters in Christ. This one has a need. Here's a need. Some of them are thinking, they have a need I can meet. They, they need $100. I can give them $100, and, and my life's not going to be changed. If I give them $100, their life might be changed in the short term. So I'll give them $100. And so the question is, do you try to help other people? I heard an illustration the other day I thought was so good. We have a man in our church. My dad and Jimmy Herwick had visited this man just a few months ago. He came to the church. He got saved, brand new Christian. He got baptized, started coming to services every week. And we didn't know this story until about two Sundays ago. Every Sunday morning after the service, he would go into the bookstore and he would look in the Bible section because he needed a Bible. He's a new Christian. He needed a Bible. And he had found the Bible that he wanted, but he couldn't afford it. It was a very nice new international version, thick Bible, large print. And I don't know how much the Bible, maybe $70. I don't know how much that Bible cost. Maybe $50. I don't know what it was. But he said, I can't. He didn't tell anybody else, but he said to himself, I can't afford that Bible. And so he started saving his money. And he put a dollar or two or five away. And, he got, and anyway, he came to church one day, and my dad said, hey, we're selling the Bibles for a short period of time in the bookstore for half price. So if you'd like a Bible. Well, the man just thought that was God's gift to him because he didn't have money to buy the Bible, but he had money to pay for half the Bible. So he went in there. Sure enough, the Bible was still there. He picked it up, took it to the counter to pay for it. And when he was about to pay for the Bible... A lady behind him, knowing nothing that I just told you, felt impressed of God to buy that man the Bible, and she bought him the Bible. And that man came and told that story to me, told that story to my dad separately. He said, I just can't believe this, how it all worked out. Now, how did that lady know to buy him that Bible? There's only one way she knew. God told him. God told her. But not only was she in touch and sensitive to the Spirit, She said, I want to help a brother out. I want to help somebody. So we should look for opportunities to do that. And I think our church gets a high score on that. But still, it's a reminder for all of us that we should should help. Question number eight, just answer yes or no. 
Are you a happy person? This is, I, I think this goes together even though it's a long question. But are you a happy person and are you content to live a simple life? Are you happy and are you content to live a simple life? Now, look in verse 46. It says, They continued daily with one another, with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house. See, there they are. They're together, and they're uh, having a good time together. But notice what it says. They ate their food with gladness. They were glad they could eat their food and simplicity of heart. They lived a simple life. And I think that's what we need in this day more than anything else is to be glad and thankful for the little things. You know, I I haven't had dinner yet. I'm going to eat it just as soon as I can get out of here because I'm about to starve right now and I'm going home. So be happy tonight. You'd be glad I'm not well fed before this sermon. You'll never get out of here, but I'm hungry. And I'm going to go home tonight and I'm going to have a nice meal. I know exactly what I'm going to eat. But here's the question. When you sit down to eat your next meal, whether it's tonight or in the morning, Will you be glad that you can eat that meal? You know, there are a lot of people in hospitals and in their own homes tonight that can't eat. For whatever reason, they just can't, they can't eat food. And there are some people who, who can eat, but maybe they're so stressed out, they've lost their appetite. You know, stress can take your appetite away, make it where you don't eat. And uh, I can remember the first time that ever happened to me, I was a seminary student. I was living in Fort Worth. And I just got all uh, lonely and stressed out living up there. And I lost about 10 or 15 pounds. And I couldn't eat and I couldn't sleep. And when I read, I couldn't concentrate. And I had never had anything like that before. And it took me about four months to get through that. And after that was over with, I can remember one night being at a restaurant in Fort Worth by myself. And I ate a, ate a big old hamburger. And uh, I just remember thinking, God, I thank you. That I can eat. I thank you that I have my appetite back. Now, I could have eaten all along, but I didn't have my appetite. And so the next meal you eat, be glad that you can eat. Be thankful for whatever you have. And I would encourage you to try to live a simple, uh, a simple and a contented life. Question number nine. Uh, and I can't read my own notes. See, if, I, if, I wouldn't have, if Sharon wouldn't have called me today, I could have cleaned this up a little bit. But question number nine. Do you praise God? Do you regularly praise God, and do you experience the favor of God and the favor of other people? Now, that's a long question, but look in verse 47, and you'll see what I was getting at there. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And so one of the things these early Christians did, they praised God, and they thanked God for their salvation, for for the Holy Spirit living in them, for the assurance that they're going to go to heaven. They thank God for that. They thank God for their food. Thank God for their Christian friends. Thank God for their health. Thank God for their life. Thank God for everything. And so I'm asking you tonight, do you regularly praise God? When, when you go to bed tonight, what, what is the last thing that you do before you go to sleep? Now, me, sometimes in my bedroom, I'll turn the TV on and some nights I don't. But even if I do, when I turn it off, I like to end the day just talking to God just for a few minutes. And basically all I do is tell him I love him. That's basically all. Now, if something's pressing, if I'm having something going on big the next day, I'll certainly be mindful of that. But, you know, I think when you go, I think this. I think when a Christian goes to bed at night, the Christian should just say, God, I just thank you, Jesus, for this day. And I just want you to know I love you. I think that's a, that's a good thing. To, and when you wake up in the morning, 
I always encourage people, because now I'm not, a, I'm not a morning person. I don't jump up at, I should be better, but I don't get at going at 5 a.m. and I can't do it. But, I mean, I can't, I would, be, I could, I would get sick if I tried to do that too often. <laughs> but, uh, or I'll say it this way, I could get up at 5 if I could shut my day down at 5. I could do it that way, but I can't start early and go late. I start to get a sore throat and I have to drink orange juice and things and I, I, need, I need my rest. But when I wake up in the morning, even, on a, even if it is a day where I got to get going a little earlier, I would prefer to spend about 10 minutes in bed just gradually waking up, okay, basically, but waking up, but also at the beginning of the day to just touch base with God and tell Him I love Him. I just, that just does me good. And to commit the day to him. But even before I get into committing the day to him, see, that whole thing about committing the day to him, that's getting into what's going to happen that day. And there's another, there's another place in our prayer time for that. What I'm saying is, I think there ought to be a time in our prayer time when we're not really asking God to do anything. It's not all about the day and what we're going to do today. It's about God, and even if we don't do anything on that day, it's still about God. Let me tell you this. God is more important than anything I've done all day. And all I've done today is work on two sermons and took, I took Sharon's call. That's really all I've done today. But even more than preparing the sermons, even more important than that for me is God. What if I didn't have a job preaching sermons? What if I wasn't able to get up here and do this? Then I wouldn't have been preparing sermons today. I'd have been home with God, but I'd have had God. And that's what I'm saying. That's the most important thing. So start your day not just saying, okay, now God today, I've got to do this. No, don't, God knows that. That's, that's for later on in your morning devotions or when you're driving to work, however you do it. But just start out today, Lord, I love you. God, I just thank you for everything. I mean, just lay there and, and, and do that for a few minutes. And I think it'll put you in touch with God maybe in a different way. And then question number 10, and I don't think any of us are probably going to be able to say yes to this one. Now, maybe you will. But I, I couldn't give myself a 10 on this one. Here's a question. Do you regularly lead people to Jesus Christ? Do you regularly see people get saved? Now, I could make that question even harder, and I know none of us would, could say yes. I could say it this way. Do you lead somebody to Jesus Christ every day? Now, there's not a one of us in here who could say that yes to that. But look what happened in this early church, the last sentence on verse 47. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You say, well, John, that doesn't mean that each one of those people was leading a person. It added to the church, and that's true. So that's why I softened the question and said, do you regularly lead people to Christ? Now, I could soften the question more, and maybe I should soften it and make it sound like this. Because really, at the end of the day, it's God. you can't make somebody get saved. That's God's business. So let's soften the question, take it down a notch, and say this. Do you regularly share Christ with somebody else? Do you regularly tell somebody, do you regularly share with another person how they can be saved? It, it is said of the great preacher Dwight L. Moody who was the great evangelist to the world before Billy Graham came on the scene, God used him to rock two continents for Jesus Christ, North America and Europe. Dwight Moody was an unbelievable Christian. He didn't get saved when he was a teenager. He lived in Boston. But he got saved, all right, and he became a great preacher. And he made a commitment to God that there would never be a day go by in his life 
when he did not share Christ with at least one person. And his testimony is, he said there was sometimes he would get home at night, and he was in his house, and it was dark, and there, he, this time he was living in Chicago, and he, it was cold up there in the winter at night. Many times it was rainy, and he described one night when he was in his house, and he looked out the window, cold, rainy, dark, wet night. And the Spirit of God spoke to him and said, Dwight, you didn't share Christ with anybody today. And you made a commitment that you would never let a day go by without sharing Christ with somebody. Now, most of us would have said, now, God, that's true. And I'm sorry that I haven't shared Christ with somebody today. Forgive me and give me another chance tomorrow. I mean, that sounds like something I would have said to God. And God would have forgiven me, and he would have given me another chance tomorrow. You know what Dwight Moody did? He got on his raincoat. He got his umbrella. He went out into the streets of Chicago and started walking up and down the sidewalks until he could find somebody to share Christ with. Now, there's an extreme example of somebody who was a soul winner. And I'll tell you this. It's not a coincidence that the man who did that was also preaching and thousands of people were being saved in those public meetings. So I'm not suggesting that you make a commitment. I've never made that commitment. Uh, I just haven't because I would never, I take my vows to God seriously and I wouldn't want to make a vow that I, unless I fully intended to keep it with all the ability that I had to keep it. So I'm not suggesting tonight that we make a vow that we'll share Christ with somebody every single day for the rest of our life. Although I will say this, it probably wouldn't be a bad commitment. It would be a great commitment to make. I'll just say before you make that commitment, we have to be very serious about it. But whether we make that commitment or not, what I'm saying is if we are filled with the Spirit of God, we should regularly be sharing Christ with other people. And we should, maybe not daily, maybe not weekly, maybe not monthly, but we should with some regularity be leading other people to Jesus Christ. Now, we should. And so I think, and, and I'm at an advantage over you in this way because I have people that call and make appointments with me to talk about this, that they're not going to probably do that with you. But if you had my job, they would. So maybe I have the advantage there. But the question is, are we regularly sharing Christ with others? And, hey, all of us can do better on that. And I think probably at the end of the day, God may judge me more for how I did apart from my job. How did I do in my life apart from the church? Sharing Christ and endeavoring to bring other people to faith in Him. And so I hope that's helpful for you tonight and uh, kind of wraps up our three-week study on the Holy Spirit. I would encourage you on any of those that you had to write, no, no, I'm not, this isn't happening. That might be something over the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays that you want to pray about. And as you look to the new year, ask God, Maybe Hey, if you can't make a commitment to share Christ with somebody every day, how about this? Maybe we could make a commitment that we would share Christ with somebody every week. Or maybe if we wanted to just soften that just so we wouldn't commit to something that might be beyond our control, maybe we would say, God, with your help, if you will help me, I, I pray that you will give me an opportunity once a week to share Christ with somebody. And God, if you give me that opportunity, I will do it. Now, that's a little bit back down from Moody's commitment. But I'll tell you this, God would bless it and God would honor it. And we'd probably, if we, if we all made that commitment, I would guess in the next 12 months, we would all have the privilege of leading five or six people to faith in Jesus Christ in 2020. And that might be 
five or six more than, than a lot of people have led to the Lord in 2019. So it's something to think about nonetheless. Amen. Father, I thank you tonight that we could, that we could wrap up the year on Wednesday nights here in the chapel talking about what it means not only to have the Spirit, but to have the Holy Spirit in power. And God, I pray that in each of our lives that he would be free to operate, free to work, free to move, and that we would experience these things tonight that the early church experienced. With your head bowed and eyes closed, it may be tonight that you never got past the first question. Have you been saved and baptized? You may have said, well, no, I haven't. Well, if you haven't, you can't get baptized tonight because we're not having a baptism service. But you can sure get saved. You can get baptized later on. You can get saved by calling on the name of the Lord. That's what Simon Peter would tell you to do if he were preaching tonight. And that's what I'm encouraging you to do. Pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins. And make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. And I trust you to do it. Change my life. Make me the person you want me to be. In your name I pray. And all the people said.